What's going on guys, it's Jake with Digital Wildcatters. Wanted to take two seconds before we get into the episode to let you know about a premiere that we are actually live streaming on December 8th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be premiering American Shale, A New Hope. It's a documentary that we shot uh, alongside EQT. Uh, back in March of this year, we were riding with Toby Rice from back from one of their wells when we were shooting our, our Evolve event. And he said, hey, do you guys want to see a farmer who roboticized his entire farm? And so we ended up meeting Larry Kane. He walked us through the farm. Uh, it's now arguably probably the most roboticized farm in North America. And all of this would not have been possible if it weren't for oil and gas. And so uh, it's a really, really cool story of prosperity. It's something that's actually like really tangible. Uh, it's really cool to see um, prosperity that's been brought to the Appalachian area. And Larry is just one story out of like 800 landowners that were kind of part of this uh, much bigger story. So uh, like I said, December 8th, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, we'll be doing a live Q&A with Toby, Larry, myself, and Colin, and some of the rest of the Wildcatter team. Uh, so just tune in for that. We'll put a link in the show notes below. This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What a welcome, guys. Welcome back to the show. Is there a nicer guy in all of energy than Jeremy Funk? Many. I don't know, man. You're just like the most <laughs> likable person. I mean, you, you, it's, 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 a it's, it's a close race between you and Chuck Yates. I, any competition between me and Chuck Yates, I'm in for. <laughs> I'm good at it. What about po- podcast downloads? Oof, yeah, I would like oof. to get in Chuck's. You guys, you guys are, you guys are on the up and up. I don't know. I don't know if you guys are buying big, downloads or what. No, big month this month. We're actually. talking about it. Yeah, They're, 57% we started, or something. So Digital Wildcatters, we started a competition between our podcasters. Whoever has the highest month over month growth, uh, growth gets a uh, a nice little paycheck bonus. To get a get a reward, and we named it the Chuck Yates Award just because Chuck wanted to rub it in that he kills everyone <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> like it worked out perfectly somehow too that we like with vacations over the summer. Typically, we have like four in the bank. Yeah, but we had none in reserve, and I was going on vacations. Tim's. Daughter got married. One goes off to college. We just couldn't find time to do podcasts. So we sort of slipped, I think. And in September, we didn't do one the last week. So beginning in October, we just started hammering posts. And we yeah. did a short with Mike Umbro. And now I think we're looking I good love for it, that man. money. So. Yeah. So if you guys are listening and you don't know Jeremy uh, Funk, he's a co-host of Tripping Over the Barrel uh, podcast on Digital Wildcatters. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Tim on vacation. I don't know if... Uh, we told you or not, but we were traveling to Pittsburgh and we were on the same flight as Tim. He was going to Nashville and we had to yeah. fly through Nashville. It was so random <laughs> running into him. He it was walking there. I was like, Lozer. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to Nashville. And I was like, we are too. <laughs> it's like, well, the cat's out of the bag, man. Yeah. But he's he's going to let that let that news out soon. That he's oh, trying is he? to build yeah. what, like martial arts franchises. I don't know. Maybe Tim can be the one to say it. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> he's like, oh, he's, he's out there now. Is. He'll let more. that news out. Oh, here it is, by the way. <laughs> He'll have more time to do podcasts with me, though, so that's yeah. a good thing. Oh, yeah. So, anyways, man, you came in town. Uh, we had Energy Tech Night yeah. last night. It was a good time. Uh, got to hang out with a lot of uh, good people, and I was glad that you got to make it down. And it's funny that we're just now doing this podcast because, yeah. I mean, we've talked about it for a long time. Uh, you actually co-hosted a podcast yeah. with me. That's kind of how you got your podcasting. Uh, oh, I was in Denver, what, like two years ago? Yeah, when you were having a kid. Or you oh, yeah, yeah. Your second kid? Was oh, so that was three and a half years ago. Then. No, it was yeah. longer than two years ago. Yeah, yeah, that was 2018. Yeah, it was. Jeez. Satan was born in 2018, right? Yeah. 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 So it was 2018. I go up to Denver for Energy Tech uh, Showcase yep. and did, I think, two episodes there and I needed yep. a co-host. So I was like, hey, Jeremy, you're a cool dude. Like, let's do How was that three and a half years ago? They wanted us to do it. Do you remember? They wanted us to host that podcast. Like, uh, Jim Thorson's like, yeah, you know, we'll have a good place for you to set up somewhere. And <laughs> you don't like, do it like in the brewing room or yeah, something? Yeah, they well, told us we could do it in the <laughs> boiler first. room. Dude, it was so fucking hot in there. It was like 110 degrees and it's like loud. And I'm like, I don't think we can record a podcast in the boiler. Like <laughs> it was also like room. in the middle too. So everybody would just be walking by. <laughs> we're like, we're hot, sweating, pot. No. So I, we went in like a. Well, like a suite in the main building. Yeah, they had a, like, because it's like part of like a shopping mall and they had a vacant <laughs> uh, storefront and 
we asked. I'm like, hey, can y'all get us in that? And so we set up a little round table in there. That looks great. <laughs> it was better that because if we're in that boiler room, I was gonna be sweating, boy. Like I didn't want to be. I like, was like, what am I getting into? What yeah, this is what podcast? Had two hours about. worth of podcast to record, and I'm just like drenching sweat. <laughs> that was that was great. I'm glad you came up, and it really did whet my appetite for podcasting. And both of you after that are like you guys need to do a podcast. I'm like, about what? Like, I have no fucking clue what you guys are talking. So I thought about it though. We talked at NAPE of 2020 actually. Mm -hmm. And then the combination of COVID and Tim and I deciding to, to kind of go for it. But you guys are like, you got to do it, man. You've got the personality for it. This is your whole thing. Like it's going to be good for you building your brand. And I mean, I'm like endlessly thankful and grateful for the Wildcatters community and for you guys pushing me, into doing it. It's given me more of a voice. It's built my persona and stature and helped me become more of a subject matter expert. And of course, the the best byproduct is the network that you build. Like, yeah. I want to, yeah, we're going to dive into that later. I want to talk about that. Um, some, cause I find that really interesting. It's not something we get to talk a lot about sure. on this show, but uh, let's talk about your background a little bit. Yeah. Cause Jake's known you for a long time. Yep. Um, you know, Seven, eight years. Yeah. Like yeah. That. You know, Y'all have known each other longer than Jake and I have known each other. Um, so let's take it back then. You know, you, you've always been in oil and gas software yeah. sales, you know, since some of the original kind of. Even uh, way before we met, you were at, I can't even remember the companies, but I know that you had been in the game for a minute. Yeah. my So I'm almost 42 years old. So my 42 second pitch that I like to sort of throw out there, Jeremy Funk was born in a small town in New Hampshire called Plymouth, about two hours north of Boston, three hours south of Montreal. Super beautiful area, also in the middle of nowhere, kind of lower middle class. Uh, and I'm Jewish, which is a little bit different. I was the only Jew in my whole high school, I think, when I was a senior of eight or 900 kids, right? But my grandfather was a rabbi. Uh, my dad's the oldest son of a rabbi. So grew up like pretty religious, went to Jewish summer camp, sleepaway camp in the summers, which like kind of helped mold me. Hang out with Scooter Braun. Yeah, Scooter Braun. So up, Scoot? <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> I remember yeah. you telling us about Jewish uh, uh, summer camps. Like Jake and I didn't know that was a thing. Obviously, you know, we're not Two months, Jewish, bro. but- like two months my parents would that's like up. almost that's like boarding school <laughs> yeah. it's like my ah, we don't want you for two months you're going to Jew school dude i can't imagine sending my kids away for two months like, <laughs> from when you're like 10 through 17 18 whatever like like every summer it? like the whole summer you go yeah away? it was the best what they, do you do it uh jewish, jewish sleepaway summer yeah camp? um like is it like it, it was amazing is it like <laughs> like do you do like fun activities or is it all just like you know religious like orthodox stuff yeah, good question. So in terms of Judaism, I've never had, no, never had okay. like any theology related <laughs> content on oil and gas startups. Oh, man. we learn everything you know. There's to know about Jew camp. No, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting to know Jeremy Gottlieb. <laughs> Jeremy Funk joins us today to tell us about Jew camp. Welcome to Theology 101 with Jeremy Funk, grandson of a rabbi. Uh, so yeah, it was actually um, there's Reform, which is kind of how I raised my family, which is more like you identify as Jewish culturally and celebrate and keep the traditions alive, occasionally go to temple and Sunday school. Uh, then it becomes conservative, which is, you know, certainly sort of like as it sounds. And then Orthodox is where they wear like the payas and the tzitzit and, you know, the, the yarmulkes. That's how I be, man. You got to go all out if you're going to do it. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to a conservative camp, which Think was... how much color Jeremy is if you rolled up in here like I that. should start doing that. <laughs> I should start doing that. So, I mean, you know, like all of the movies and TV shows you'd see about camp, like, that's exactly what it is. You got the lake and you got the girls, right? And you're playing sports and color war. I can't help. Like the only image I have of like summer camp is, uh, what was it? A uh, fat camp. Oh, uh, oh, oh. With, uh, Ben Stiller. <laughs> oh, fat. <laughs> Heavyweights. <laughs> Heavyweights <yeah. laughs> I don't know if that's what like, Drew Camp's was, like, but that's what I'm imagining. It was exactly like that, just with not fat and yeah, it was yeah. candy and stuff like that too. Um, so anyways, beyond 42 seconds, but, um, went to Brandeis just outside of Boston. Boston was always sort of like the home city and Brandeis was a majorly Jewish school. Part of why I went there. Also, it was by far the best school I got into and education was like preach. Like you've got to go to college. You got to go to the best school, right? I mean, that you can possibly get into super competitive. And, um, it was really humbling for me because I'd always sort of viewed myself as like, like the top, like, like smart, hardworking, you know, fun. And, and you get to a school like that and it's like, wow, like a lot of these guys are 
they work harder. They're smarter. They, <laughs> they come for more money. They have better opportunities. Like shit, man. Like if I'm even going to try to keep up with guys like this, I need to step it up. What were you studying there? I double majored in history and American studies. Never knew that. So that's actually, yeah. that gives me some interesting context because actually we were talking before we got on the mic about how you didn't like me at first. <laughs> online, own, online. Yeah, on my online presence. But I think like it stemmed from, you know, back then I used to have a lot harder take on university. Obviously I didn't go to university and so I'd always be talking shit about uh, university being a scam and you and I would like go back and forth. Yeah. So that gives me context because like, you know, totally just your, your upbringing <laughs> and your culture, you know, puts it, you know, they rank it high in terms of priority. And then, like, you have me over here, like, fuck the system. <laughs> well, don't get it wrong. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm not Jewish, but my family definitely pushed for me to, to go to school. And I did. I just dropped out, like, three times, you know, because it was the same. I was just really, ah, this is not for me. All our paths are different. But, you know, I think, Colin, your, your success is is something I hope people take note of that you don't necessarily need to do it a traditional way, especially with the avenues now with with media, social media, digital content, like all the things that you're doing, you could learn that stuff on your own. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. it, and and your ability to figure things out has helped push you in the direction of being an entrepreneur, leading a really strong business. Well, it's funny because I've also like softened my stance. Like yeah. I view university as a tool. And I think that it's a good tool. But it's not the it's not the you know it, it's not the end of everything. And like the people that stop learning after they graduate and they rely on credentials, that's where my beef is. Is with credentials. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah so it's not university. It's credentials and the system of credentials. Like, dude, you got some dumbasses out there that have credentials. That doesn't mean anything, right? Like, I was I was clowning on someone on Twitter last night because. Uh, they're like one of our interns has four hundred thousand dollars in student loans, oh. and um, they're someone at Northwestern Mutual got them paying six hundred dollars a month for a uh, no. from a for a primary um, whole life insurance policy. Right. And I was like, "Damn, four hundred thousand dollars in student loans, and you're still not smart enough to not get swindled by Northwestern." Well, they don't teach you any. I mean, balancing a checkbook—they never had us do that in school. It's not right. crazy. It's bizarre. Not that we use a checkbook anymore, but like, yeah, I haven't wrote, wrote a check in a minute. You did in 1998 when I went to college. And you guys were still in diapers. So. <laughs> I was in second grade. <laughs> so finish, so finish college. Kind of putzed around for a year, and I'm like, I've spent like my whole life in New England at that point, 23 years old, and I knew I wanted to either go to grad school. I wanted to make money. Like ultimately, I wanted to make money, do something. So I moved with a couple of my friends from home to Boulder, Colorado, sight unseen. And I had plans at that point in time, that was almost exactly 18 years ago, to get into technology sales. Because I'd seen in the late 90s in the Boston area, some sort of that first tech boom happened, mm -hmm. right? And you know, you think around the time of like AOL, Yahoo, even Enron was kind of a significant mm -hmm. player. Microsoft was growing. Amazon was just born. I buy books off of Amazon in 1999. Yeah. You know? So you could start to see the world going that way. I'm like, all right. This tech sales train isn't going to slow down, and it's my quickest path without having to go back to school to kind of get into a career. And we did various different sales in like Boulder, Colorado startups. What uh, took you to yeah. Boulder? Because I mean, Boulder is an interesting story with Tech Stars, and I mean, you know, obviously yeah. mm -hmm. became a tech hub. I don't know when Tech Stars started. Must have been like two thousand five, two thousand six. That's, that's what I was thinking. Like, so you were there before then or after? Uh, so at the first job I ever had, you guys will appreciate this. This, this will date me. Uh, I sold storage area networks over IP. So I would sell boxes that stored a terabyte of data for upwards of $20,000. And that's before you have to add replication to other sites or premium version and the fans to cool it down. What was it company? It was called Left Hand Networks and they were acquired by okay. Dell. Okay. But I worked at a company called Rally Software. And this was like probably the first really dumb mistake in my career. I just didn't know yet. The company was just balling out. And they raised $8 million and people are drinking champagne and wine. super familiar. Yeah. And, and I was just like, I didn't like my boss and that the job didn't pay enough. So I, I took a job somewhere else for a little more money at a dead-ed company. And I realized right away, I'm like, that was bad. Like, yeah. keep an eye for companies like that. They ended up going public. What did Rally do? I threw out my stock options. That would have been worth tons of money. Um, <laughs> so that was project management um, leveraging agile methodologies 
Okay. So traditionally, software development at that point had been waterfall, which is build, 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 throw it on the testers for a couple of weeks, yep. give it back. They're like, make it more iterative. Yeah. Sprints of a week or two, which is now really common. So this was kind of like a Jira sort of? Yeah. So yeah. a little bit like in, in that world. Um, and it was super hot yeah. at the time because companies were like, we want to go agile. So they do training, build their organization, and then sort of leverage the workflow of the, yeah. of the software. The yeah. company did extremely well. So it was good for me, even though I was only there for a little over a year, to see what a good startup looked like yeah. mm-hmm. and to keep an eye out for those in the future. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about Agile. I mean, we're even implementing that at nice. Digital Wildcatters. Yeah. We're not a software company. We do it from a media perspective. And oh, interesting. It's a very um, you know, common methodology for uh, planning and building companies now. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> you go from, you know, you go to Boulder to get in the tech scene. How did you get into oil and gas yeah. tech? Let's talk about that. And who was the first company? Yeah. So like I was struggling. I think a, a lot of like, I call it like the quarter life crisis. Like I, I already <laughs> knew I didn't want to go into an office. It still feels awkward when I do now. Like I went to EAG's office yesterday. I'm like, do I shut the door after I leave <laughs> or, oh, sorry. Can I have a key fob badge so I can get it's back like, in? Like where like, do, it's I just awkward. do I sit here? Do I sit there? <laughs> like, I want to be able to focus. I can work from anywhere. Right. Yeah. You'll catch me in the Brown Palace if you're in Denver sometimes doing a podcast. <laughs> the Brown Palace? Airport. What is that? Oh, is that it's your a office? Famous, no, it's a famous hotel in, in Denver. Oh, okay. I see uh, I, I see out the, the nice hotel. Sounded dirty. I thought it was the shitter. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> <we're there>. <laughs> <laughs> the Brown Palace. That's the Brown Throne. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So not, but now that you say it, like you can see where the confusion is. All right, happens. fine. You guys are weird, but <laughs> <laughs> the Brown Throne seems like it'd be in the Brown Palace. <laughs> it's probably somewhere in there. So the Brown Palace actually it's somewhat famous that they called it White House West in like the nineteen thirties. I think Eisenhower and Roosevelt spent a lot of time there when mm. the West was expanding, right? So a lot of the country was actually run from the Brown Palace in Denver um, in the 30s and 40s. Like I said, I'm an American history guy, so I care <laughs> about this stuff. Um, so, like, I was struggling. You know, I'm, I knew I wanted to make money. I couldn't find the right opportunity. And in 2007, I got laid off twice, two different jobs. Oof. And I'm like a smart, hardworking, talented guy, right? Like, and I still knew that. So I talked to this recruiter. I'm like... I guess, I mean, can you give me a job? Like, I'll just be a headhunter. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. 27, 28 years old. I have my engagement ring ready for my wife. I'm like, I can't propose without a job. The recruiter's like, um, I'd love to, but I actually have a job for you. It's selling accounting software to oil and gas companies. And I had no clue about it. New Hampshire is the furthest mm-hmm. place in the world from West Texas. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I, really? Like, isn't that like an eighties industry? Isn't it like dead now? This is 2007, 2008. And they're like, just, just talk to them. Like apparently they're selling these like million dollar deals every day. Yeah. I go in, I get the job first day on the job around January 1st, 2008 oil was like $135 a barrel. Yeah. So I go in for an inside sales job. They're like, here, you need to make these calls. And I'd make 10 phone calls and get three demos. And one of them would sell like instantly. Pretty good conversion. Yeah. <laughs> what was the company? The best. Bolo. Bolo. Okay. Yeah. This was prior to P2? Yes. This was just when it was Bolo, which was okay. actually an amazingly fun company. Jason yeah. Olbickson, who sat in the seat, was one of I my colleagues. I totally there. forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. A lot of super talented people. Amanda Stevens, who's the controller at Whiting. So I, I like to preface this with, I was very fortunate to get into Bolo. Even though the, the tech was so far behind what companies like Rally were doing before, I'm like, okay. If people are buying this with a unit data backend, not even SQL database, the opportunity for technology and oil and gas is going to be immense. And I just started to really like the industry. Like I felt comfortable. I felt like there was no judgment, like it's a sort of a hardworking space and that there's the ability to go out and make it. Um, and was very fortunate that P2 came in and bought Bolo because what that did was my colleagues and people that I would go in and do projects and demos with, well, now they took jobs with operators because they were the Bolo expert. Mm-hmm. So I had this built-in ability to sell to people that I used to sell with yeah. early in my that's career. Interesting. Yeah. Huge break. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, um, I liked your comment about like the no judgment from the industry and it just kind of rewards you if you're willing to work hard. Like yeah. that's my favorite thing about oil and gas yeah. is it's one of the only industries I feel like that you can get rewarded for hard work. Like there's a direct correlation with that. So 
you go, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know about Bolo, so yeah. it's good to get some history Come here. On, 14 years in uh, oil and gas software for me now. Yeah. You know, I've been at it. Yeah. That's, that's why it. I say, like, you were the you were the OG. If anybody's like, hey, like, I need, like, how do I get <laughs> into this company? That. I'm like, dude, talk to Jeremy <laughs> because he knows everybody. Like, literally, you know everybody. Like, if I'm like, hey, I need somebody at Whiting, you're like, I got a guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And it's, it's important for me and we'll get into what I'm doing now, but, but to present the right solutions to the right people, because otherwise we can burn them out. You guys yeah. know, right. You go to people for favors and you have to be selective about what those favors yeah, are. You only have so many chances for, you know, favors and opportunities. And then so you gotta, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be careful in your matchmaking. Yeah. So let's talk about what you are doing today. You know, you have, ex- you know, much more extensive, uh, 14 years, um, yeah. background in oil and gas, software sales across multiple companies but uh recently you go out and you start your own company funk futures when did you officially start that 2018 but that was basically just to have like an avenue in case i made any other money right as, yeah. a, as a 1099 yeah right yeah but i didn't really ramp it up until this year yeah it was this year right yeah. so you know six months ago or yeah. something like that maybe eight months ago feels like six years sometimes six years yeah. Yeah. i was so excited and you're like i'm doing it Thank you. I'm going out on my own. I was like, dude, it's about time. Like, why are you working for anybody? Like, you need to have people working for you. It's been a godsend for me. And to be frank, like, it had been on my mind since 2017. Jake, when you and I met each other, I was at Seven Lakes. And Seven yep. Lakes was having a lot of success. They, mm-hmm. um, I came in, the company had... We were competing, by the way. Yeah, we were competing. But, but we, were like unfair, so, we were so cordial. It was, it was an like, unfair advantage that I had too. Like they had yeah. like a hundred people yeah. and you had you and Bobber. Yeah. It was like me and Bobber at that time. <laughs> Startup yeah. struggle. Yeah. yeah. You don't exactly. have resources. <laughs> Seven Lakes was, it was almost like combo curve. If you think about mm-hmm. like their trajectory. Are they still where, around? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, I went out to California to visit those guys in 2013. And before that at, at Seven Lake, uh, sorry, at, at Energy Navigator and at Bolo had sold solutions primarily geared toward accounting, finance, mm-hmm. IT, Seven Lakes brought me into that iPad-based field data capture, so understanding what pumpers do, what superintendents do, understand more of the operations side of the business, um, and that, I think, helped with my overall expertise. So, so after I left there in early 2017, I had – and this – I sort of felt like you, you – I remember you posting something, too. You're like, mm-hmm. I gave everything I possibly could mm-hmm. to this company. I was just dra- drained. Four years at a startup that goes from a million to 15 million, one of the top – thousand fastest growing privately held companies i was flying you know three flights and three nights four flights and four nights type of thing yeah always one step ahead of the competition like i was like a like a ghost right like ah, i just can't get him comes in he gets the deal signed he leaves <laughs> i was completely gassed and it's like a legend <laughs> never actually see own, him you just hear about own, him <laughs> and took a job at stonebridge um consulting which i really liked but I totally forgot like, about that. Yeah, immediately I was like, I need to be on the tech side. Like, consulting's great, but I'm just a tech nerd. Like, yeah. At, yeah. at its core, like I, I geek out. I had this the i first uh, iPhone in 2007. Yeah. Like, have, have always loved new technology. So start, started to see that there could be a path to represent best of breed in different areas. That's a lot easier said than done. You have to convince multiple people that your value is worth it, that you can help pitch their wares, get them opportunities that they wouldn't, and do that for multiple people, which is very challenging. So finally, it it sort of had come together, and then W Energy Software is like, hey, look, I mean, I know that you were only here for a year during COVID and negative oil price in a city that's, you know, not overly developed from a market (laughs) standpoint, but you didn't sell enough. Yeah, I know. Um, So they they were super, they're like, go find a job. You know, we can keep you on payroll for a little bit and yeah. go take care of it. Gave and I'm like, landing. you know, I'm not going to find a job. Like, I'm going to start my own thing and put it out to the universe. I talked to 45 or so energy tech companies, everybody from the well databases to combo curves to tracks to EAG, OBS group, right? Uh, PDS Energy, Ironsight, like mm-hmm. people that have sat in these seats mm-hmm. right across the board. And some were like, I'm offended that you would ask for this amount of money to not work for me full time. <laughs> and others were like... Yeah, okay. I'm like, really? You're gonna you're gonna pay for that. <laughs> I can make a comparison, but I'm not going to right now. <laughs> but it was like, oh, this is cool. All right. Um, and I've really figured it out. I was fortunate to have a kid named Gino 
who's done some inside sales work for me before, and he's he's competent and talented enough to be able to shift gears and speak about all of the different solutions that we offer depending on the title and conversation. Yeah. So trying to build consultative sales resources that connect best of breed energy tech with operators who are forward thinking. And it's been absolutely amazing this year. That's awesome. This episode is brought to you by Liquid Frameworks. Liquid Frameworks has become the standard in field operations management software over the past decade with their field effects platform. And now they're taking it to the next level now that they've been acquired by ServiceMax, an acquisition that wouldn't have happened if they weren't bullish on our industry continuing to boom. And I think that's exactly what we're going to see in 2022. So the recount for now has kind of leveled off. So take advantage of this time to invest in your success in the new year. If you're still dealing with mountains of paperwork and your ops team is always stressed out, do yourself and do them a favor and check out FieldFX. The FieldFX platform streamlines communication between accounting, field operations, office management, all with the touch of a button. And they're trusted by teams at Liberty Willfield, XPro, ShawCore, ChampionX, and numerous others that you guys know about. So if you're still stuck on paper and Excel and thinking about finally making that switch, come on, guys, it's 2022 coming up. Check out the website, schedule a demo. We've got a link for you to sign up for a custom demo in the show notes, liquidframeworks.com forward slash digital wildcatters, or just click the link in the show notes. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's a good model too. Um, you know, I think the hardest part about oil and gas software, and this won't just be oil and gas software, it'll be any technical industry that's wanting to uh or that's kind of having this transformation of digital tech is it's so hard to find people that are technical sales that can really understand the product understand the pain points and the problems of their clients and you know really have a holistic view of oil and gas especially in oil and gas because every single downturn it's guys that were your peers at some of these these companies that are like, fuck it, I'm leaving. And they go off and they do technical sales in different industries. And so right. there's not many guys like you left in the industry. Which is unfortunate, yeah. frankly. Um, you're probably right, too. And it, it's, it's sort of the age that I'm at. Like, you get some people that are sort of Tim's age, maybe in their 50s. Mm-hmm. And even like this younger crew that we're seeing now in their early 30s. But there's just not many like career 40-something-year-old sales guys and yeah. oil and gas unless they're at like in Veris or ihs or quorum for life yeah know? yeah it's also you're kind of like part of that like age like that middle age gap i mean you're you're millennial technically speaking. right on the edge yeah but um like gen x like there's not a ton of people all together in the industry from that generation <laughs> no, you know no. so i feel like that generation suffers with a lot of like the the soft skills, I think, due to constantly being on your phone and not necessarily communicating. And so I don't think that there's as many people kind of getting into sales roles and BD roles from that generation. I don't know if that's if you think the same thing or not. The but Gen you, X generation? Yeah, the Gen X well, you generation. think about it because like, go back to your comment about buying the first iPhone. Yeah, I have a thought on that. 2000, so, so, 2007. Yeah, I'll, let me get to that in one second. Right? I, I think... So just being a little bit older than you guys, right? It was different. Like I didn't know what my career path would be if I wasn't going to be like a doctor, a teacher, or a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Like it was more traditional. My parents, mm-hmm. my dad was a professor. My mom was an art teacher. They both only worked at the same place for like 30 years. My dad worked for 41 years at, one at Plymouth State. My mom worked at an elementary school for like 30. So I, I was like, okay, so you get a job and you just stay at it your whole life, your whole mm-hmm. career. Right. Things have expanded more. So so that mindset, like my older sister's librarian, like she probably got it set in her mind that she was going to do something like that at a young age. And, and that's what she does. And for me, I never really knew. I still don't really. Mm-hmm. I just know that, like, it's been a lot of fun in getting to know people in oil and gas, um, seeing the evolution in technology, particularly over the last five years. Yeah. Like the, the companies that presented last night at Energy Tech Night. Like all of them were locked in and they've all significantly improved their products since the last time I'd seen any of them, which is great because the competition needs to be at that level and the technology is available to, to lower cost and increase efficiency. Yeah. So thank you guys for helping expose those companies to the masses. Yeah, it's awesome. Sure. Um, I want to talk about kind of taking a side tangent here. Yeah. Um, I want to dive into the podcast and producing content. And, you know, you and I talked a little bit. Um, I came, you had a um, 
golf uh, yeah scramble. that was fun yeah it was fun um up in denver i got to make it I'm there i'm super pissed that i couldn't make I it i got to I'll make it, it there for we'll a full yeah. four hours um <laughs> thanks <Southwest. laughs> that was crazy that was crazy <laughs> you were supposed to come on a thursday hang out we we're gonna get dinner oh you don't even you know the, you don't even know the other part i didn't no. tell you i go to the airport and i got there about two and a half hours early i'm sitting at my gate no. And it's about five minutes before my plane's supposed to be boarding. And I'm like, I haven't heard anything. And I go up and I ask the gate attendant. I'm like, hey, what's what's the deal with the Houston flight? He's like, oh, it got canceled at one o'clock. Oh, shut up. Dude. Didn't send me any notification. No text. No email. They let me check in. And I'm sitting at the gate for almost three hours. And my flight had been canceled. And so they get me a hotel room, you know, because I think the flight was at like 830. They get me a hotel room <laughs> at some little crack motel by Denver. <laughs> I'm just like sitting there on my like hard ass bed. And I'm just like, what a day. Like this trip is just Thank you for thank you He's, for making it. He spent more time sitting in the lobbies of airports than actually there. Yeah. You showed up and you're like, sorry, I gotta go. <laughs> I had a good time though. I met a, I met a ton of good people and even like friends that I've met online, like uh, like Andrew. Um, yeah, Chan. And, you know, so. Um, but anyways, we were talking there at the event, and um, you were just talking about how you're starting to see like the value of putting out content. And oh my god, you know, this plays into something that I believe that. Uh, content is the highest uh, form of leverage in this generation and it costs you you know nothing, nothing. But time and effort to put in and tell your story and put your thoughts out in the ether and you start building that network you start yeah. getting you know to be an authority on different topics and you know when you have a business like yours like that's a funnel right and yes. it leads to leads to work so like talk about Let's talk about that a little bit, like your personal experience doing a podcast yeah. and putting out content. Great transition. And Jake, we talked about this last night, that the coolest mm -hmm. thing is that people will come up to me and like start in the middle of the conversation. And yeah. I'm like, wait, who are you? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Do we know? It's like, no, I listen to your podcast every week. They feel like they know me. Yeah. Right. So it's like a different layer of like, you're almost like a mini celebrity. I've had some people come up to me and be like, I'm sorry, but like, I'm a huge fan. No joke. Like, whatever we get in downloads, 300, 400 a week, it doesn't matter. Somebody's listening and is like, yep. these guys are awesome. Dude, I was, yeah. uh, one time I was at this Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition, <laughs> big competition. This guy, I'm like sitting there watching my team. It's this guy walks up to me, doesn't say his name or anything, just starts talking about oil. Yeah. And like, just like random. Two minute conversation, he walks away. I look over at Julie and I was like, I have no idea who that was. <laughs> yeah, but, I love it. Yeah, but had a great little two-minute conversation <laughs> on oil. <laughs> so it's it's done that, right? It's it's helped build sort of that that celebrity, that persona. But I think for me, it, it truly is like I, I've become more of a subject matter expert because I've become a better listener in these mm -hmm. sessions. The phone's down, right? I'm focused, I'm listening, right? No, you know, occasionally maybe a kid runs in the room, but for the most part. They're not. And, and you get to know people. You remember certain snippets of what people say. And then that relationship is formed. Mm -hmm. So from a, a business development standpoint, there's been nothing better than the podcast. But truly, like, you guys have helped give me a voice. Like, I, I've talked to both of you about this on occasions that oil and gas has traditionally been really buttoned up. Like, pretty mm -hmm. conservative industry. You sort of just stay in your lane and, and maybe don't Sterile. show don't show your ass all the time. <laughs> yeah. Right? And you guys came in here like, well, fuck that. I'm going to go film myself saying evolve or fucking die. <laughs> and it made me feel like good. Like now I can start doing some more of that too. And it's encouraged. Yeah. Right. And, and we're doing big things for the industry to show we're just people. Right. You know, I mean, we uh, all have different creeds and political beliefs and whatever, but we're just out here trying to make a buck. You know, to kind of add on to that and just the collective impact that all of us have had. At digital wall cutters putting out content i was talking to a guy in midland last week and he's not from oil and gas traditionally yeah but now he's in software sales in oil and gas he lives in austin most of his friends are liberal anti-oil and gas and he came up to me and we're talking he's like i just want to tell you how much i appreciate digital wildcatters for giving me a voice he's like yeah, i have man. something to to fall back on now and show my friends and show mm -hmm. them oil and gas and show them that it's not just big, bad Exxon. And you know, yep. that's a cultivation of everyone that's hosting our podcast and putting out content, like showing what the industry is really about. Like that's the shit that matters. Well, it personifies the industry. It puts faces to the efforts of people in this industry, whether it's people on our show or your show or any of them. 
right? It's not like like you said, it's not Exxon, it's not Chevron, it's it's John, it's Rick, it's Sarah at these various companies, and it shows yeah. that like this is a great and, industry full of great people. And you guys saw that that was needed. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was sorely needed. There, there was nothing like digital wildcatters before you started it, and there's really nothing like it now. Yeah. You know, I like, I like seeing kind of your journey as a content creator because, like you said, like when we were talking to you about starting a podcast, like, you know, there was some resistance there. Sure. And now, you know, I think that you see, like, oh shit, like this does pay dividends in the long run, um, especially when you're building a business. And, you know, when we started oil and gas startups, it, we didn't know if anything was going to come from a podcast called Oil and Gas Startups. You I know? knew like, it was a good idea at the time, though, because yeah. there was so much noise. Yeah. Which is part of what I'm trying to do with operators when I meet with them, too, is distill down all the noise. Yeah. Energy tech companies, I mean, most tech, tech companies are, are technical founder-led. Yeah. And what that transitions to is amazing tech, but That's really poor me. branding. Yeah, like, <laughs> even last night. Yeah. A lot of these products sound like they could do SCADA or they could do some level of automation, production optimization. I'm not sure. Yeah. There's a lot of noise and things sound the same. Yeah. So OGS, and I've listened to, you know, a handful of your podcasts. You guys do a good job of, of letting people show that what they have is different and yeah. unique and why it's special. Yeah. You know, for us, though, it's like, hey, even you know, if nothing comes from the podcast, two things will come from it. We can increase our network, yeah. get cool people in here to record with us. Yeah. And we can learn. And I think that's actually one of the most underrated um, benefits of doing a podcast, like you said, is like it forces you to learn. And yep. I have people that come sit in that chair all the time. Mm -hmm. And, dude, I didn't know shit about bolting. And then, you know, we go through this like four <laughs> four episode streak of every bolting startup in oil and gas wanted to come on the show. And, like, all of a sudden. If you need to know like, anything about bolting, call me. <laughs> like, Speaking I can which, tell you everything. Jason Olbickson dialing in right here, too. Oh, there you That's funny. Put him on the phone. Let's go. <laughs> uh oh, Jason, what's up, man? Hey, what's up? Hey, this is Jake Corley. You're actually live on uh, Oil and Gas Startups podcast. We got Jeremy here with us. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. dude, you're on the air. <laughs> Say hi. I think this is our first call into Oil and Gas Startups ever. Long time listener. <laughs> You've sat here before. Uh, hey, good seeing you last night, man. I'll, I'll tell Jeremy to call you back. Dude, they're great. Yeah, we love Travis really and the team over there. Awesome, man. Awesome, man. We appreciate that. I do. We'll catch you later. <laughs> <laughs> his um his podcast was awesome. Yeah, that, yeah. That he yeah Jason was great. And yeah, I was so happy that he came on. So I think that's like one of you know I record podcasts sometimes and that information stays in my subconscious and I'll go back and I'll think about it and i'll dwell on it and, mm. you know i have some really provocative thoughts come from you know someone's opinion on how they see the industry or mm -hmm. how they see a different type of technology and you know like last week i gave this uh, i gave a talk to uh these uh, attorneys international attorneys they're in the u.s europe all over the world and yeah, but really, you don't have a degree, so why would anybody listen to you? Right. And uh, <laughs> just enough talking about natural gas and how it's displaced coal and, yeah. you know, it burns 50% less CO2 when burned. And, you know, these attorneys over in London verbatim, he said, you know, we really tout how we've driven down our CO2 emissions, but now listening to you, it really seems like, hey, we went from coal to natural gas natural gas to renewables is probably going to be a lot harder to do. Yeah. And then, you know, I bring up like, Hey, look, methane is more potent than CO2. So methane leaks, rogue emissions are a big deal. How many startups have we had on mm -hmm. our show a that lot. have come here and talk about methane emission mitigation tech? I'm like the, te the technology exists today oh, to mitigate <laughs> it. Yeah. And so like, that's cool. Like all of a sudden I have people in the climate space like, hey, can you do a write-up on the the methane mitigation technologies that you guys have had on the show? Like all of a sudden we're actually doing an event on it next year called Zero. Yeah. That's all of a sudden, like that's specifically focused on all of these technologies. I think we'll probably but it's just do like it. all of a sudden, like I have people asking me to put out a piece of content on it. Like I'm a subject matter expert on methane mitigation yeah. just from sitting here talking to people and hearing them out. And so you That's get awesome. that, you get that knowledge, uh, osmosis of just sitting across from someone mm -hmm. and talking. Yeah. And I think for, for me and in, in our particular podcast, like, first of all, 
Tim and I have good chemistry, like just like yeah. you do. I think that's the key to a, a partnering podcast is yeah. like, we just have fun and, and you know, neither one of us takes ourselves that seriously and it's great, but he's an engineer, right? So you think about the technical acumen of all the guests that we have, it's a pretty wide range. Yeah. So if they start getting super engineering-ish, I'm like, all right, Tim, what's gas lift? <laughs> yeah. You know, I can explain. Mm-hmm. All right, so gas lift, right? Because he's an A&M petroleum engineer yeah. guy. Uh, so I've learned a ton. It's like it's like uh, Cliff's Notes, yeah. right? Like I just learned a course that they teach at A&M in five minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's, um, I, I just think that's a really undervalued aspect of having podcasts like this is that you can just learn so much in such little time. Because like you, you know, a true expert is someone that can take a complex subject and boil it down into yeah. 30 seconds for yeah. you to, for you mm-hmm. to understand and <laughs> you get those types of people on the show that have so much technical expertise that they can do that. And especially have, you know, Tim, uh, to yeah. kind of be the bridge. Like sometimes like I mean, we get some super fucking smart engineers on our show. Right. And like, they'll start talking about something. I'm like, Hey, look, that's going over my head. <laughs> Let's break that down a little bit. Easy yeah. now. Like who, uh, who is it? The, the, the chemical company, uh, Jimmy jet. Yeah. Jimmy. Jet. We haven't released it yet. Yeah. He's talking, dude. I learned all kinds of shit about chemistry and, uh, oh, awesome. and chemicals and he's teaching vegetative, me about, like, uh, veget- polymers, vegetative based polymers. And he's teaching me about like, he kept referencing a head and a tail. I'm like, Hey, what is that? He's like, it's literally, you know what a sperm looks vegetative. like? I was like, hell yeah. I know what a sperm looks like. And so he started teaching <laughs> us like the head and tail molecular structure of these <laughs> these chemicals and that's incredible yeah like so that that's one thing that I, I find really cool but you know i've always encouraged people in oil and gas to put out content and i think that uh it's safe to say that that's come to fruition like you see people starting up podcasts and putting out content on linkedin and that is good for the industry yes, as a is. whole for people to be telling stories for people to be controlling the narrative in oil and gas but there's also personal benefit to it you start to build a brand and yep. once you have a brand you can do things and what's that, um, what's crazy to me is that there's still companies in this space that are seeing that this like these things are working and they are suppressing content creation of some of their employees i know tons of absolutely. examples of people that were doing great work for companies that they were working for creating some you know maybe a little bit more edgy content but since it wasn't like through corporate comms, since it wasn't like what they've traditionally done, they shut it down. It wasn't even edgy content. That. Like there's people that will like post a picture of them out in the field and type in something. And it's not like they're like me, like fuck everyone, you know, like yeah. it's not that edgy. It's just, it looks different. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely crazy. So the companies that understand that, I mean, you should empower your people to become content creators in this space. And that's how you're going to like differentiate in this. I mean, it's the commodity business. And sometimes a lot of these technologies can almost kind of become commoditized as well, right? Like you said, the messaging kind of gets hard. Coming on the podcast really helps kind of distill that. But if you're able to kind of take that narrative in your own hand yeah. and you build this team of people who are putting in a lot of content on whatever platform, that's what ultimately was going to set you apart from from your competitors. Yeah, and I think, uh, Colin, we... You know, every time I have like a banger post, I always, you know, that gets 300 likes or something, I always text you guys like, yo, look at this. But... <laughs> Treating LinkedIn like Facebook, like I don't really use Facebook anymore for posts, but the posts that I used to put there that are a little bit more heartfelt, I now put those on LinkedIn, which I think breaks down the wall of just this business guy in oil and gas to somebody that's like, you know, more personal. And then you can listen to my content and you see pictures of my kids and all of a sudden you're like, all right, Mm -hmm. I know this guy. I know Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah. I trust him. Like I used to, um, my friend Petra actually brought this up last night. The president? I made, um. Yeah, a post that I made like three years ago where I was like, if you're in oil and gas sales, like everyone's like, contact us and we can handle all your, you know, saltwater disposal needs. And I'm like, dude, that sounds lame. Like, that sounds lame. Everyone says that. Actually, tell your story, document your journey, talk about what you're doing, build a a brand. That's what, you know, in my opinion, there's no such thing as B2B sales because there's always a human behind that business and you got to establish those relationships and connections. Yeah. B2B is B2C these days. That's, I believe that hundred percent. People buy from people they like and trust. And, and mm-hmm. that goes almost a little bit against like the traditional sales methodologies where no, you get somebody like this and then you take this route. It's like, no, like I would rather somebody know exactly what the deal is and, and buy from me because they know that that's the right yeah. thing to do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. There's, I mean, so, so, one comment too, like I care a lot about sales 
And one of the things that, you know, I want to coach my younger sales guys to do things a little bit differently. There's so many simple things like what you just mentioned around build content, build a brand, even just in an email. Think about this. Mm-hmm. When I reach out to someone who says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd like, you know, I'd like to see your product or let's have a conversation. I don't say, when do you want to talk? I say Tuesday between 10 and two or Wednesday, because you have to give them the option to, to make a decision. If you leave it open-ended, they might just never respond to you. Yeah. And I see sales reps do this all the time. Like, don't just ask, like, no, give them options, make them pick a time. And now that's on the, you books. have to have, so, you know, I'll network with, um, just people from all various backgrounds and just people that I think are interesting and reach out to them on Twitter. And you can't be like, Hey, I would love to, you know, get on a, on a phone call. Like you have to have a direct ask. And yep. that's like, that's mm-hmm. how I get people like, Hey, you know, I, I've seen you've done this. You know, I have some similar, um, similar things that we're working on over at digital wildcatters. Yep. Love to get on a 15 minute phone call and connect with another founder. You know, how about, are you around next week? Right. Like, right. and that's how you get someone on the phone, not, uh, you know, leaving it open-ended. Like you have to give someone the ability to make a, make a decision. I actually love this. Let's talk. Cause we never really had a chance to really talk about like sales on the show before. I love it. Uh, what are like some of the maybe biggest mistakes or sins that you kind of see in the sales world, particularly in in oil and gas in the tech side? Is there, is there something that you see all the time or if not, is there anything that you can kind of give advice to some of the young books coming up? Uh, I mean, and these are things I'm still guilty of myself, right? Like these are things you constantly have to work at, but, but one is happy years, right? Like you, you bring something in the room. You think that you've created the world's greatest bread slicer. People start giving you positive feedback, man, this is really cool. This is great. We really like it. Okay. In my mind, I'm thinking these guys are going to buy. I have no idea if they're going to buy or not. Right. Mm -hmm. So really actually going through a qualification process to understand if this is the right solution for them and if it's the right solution for you to invest your time in to sell to them. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, fundamentally, you can go down these processes and they're like, oh, we're, we don't have any budget for this. Yeah. Like, shit, I should have asked that. So do you disqualify early on in the conversation? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different for me now since I have 10 different products conceivably yeah. I could get to. So I want to find the conversation that gets me there. But if I were representing a single product, single brand, I would just qualify as fast as I can to move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's really, um, like even when you think about like raising finance uh, or capital, like, it's like you want to move through, you want to disqualify and qualify as fast as you can to make sure yeah. that you're not wasting time, right? So same same sort of process. I think that there's two things that I see just all the time because it constantly being bombarded from people trying to sell me all sorts of shit and they have no, no clue what we absolutely do. Right. Right. So it's just the, the blasting on LinkedIn constantly of like, Hey, my name is John. I'm selling tubular goods. Can I provide services to you? My favorite is I get like cat bloggers reaching out to me on email asking (laughs) if they can write blogs about cats for digital wall catters. Cat cat content coming out soon. (laughs) That's That's amazing. Well, it's funny because like the first two I got, like I didn't connect the dots. I was like, why the fuck are these people reaching out to me? And then I was like, oh, mate, like wall catters. It makes perfect sense. (laughs) I think another thing is just like trying to go straight for a sale, not having the conversation, not trying to build relationships. Yeah. You know, and I think in a lot of these, it's a long sales cycle. And I think what you've done really, really well is building relationships. Thank you. Right. Not, not in every single type of sale, like kind of warrants that, but for something like this, where it's a year, year and a half, sometimes to get some of these things sold, it's building relationships with people and seeing if you can actually help. Absolutely. You know, I mean, as opposed to jumping straight to it. Hey, can I sell you some shit? And and for oil and gas, which is still a very relationship centric kind of old school industry, people can see through the bullshit pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. The fact that I've been here for 14 years and consistently sell to some of the same people means that I've done something the right way. They're not going to buy every single product, but if you try to go in and sell somebody one thing, it doesn't work in this industry if it fails. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to sell to somebody that I can do business with for the next 20 to 25 years mm-hmm. because this industry is still going to be around. Mm-hmm. Things are going to transition. I want to be viewed as that expert and somebody that people come to because they trust and they know. <laughs> if you look at it to get the the short-term win, your career is going to be short in the space. Yeah. So, you know, to round out this podcast, if we have, uh, you know, any technology solutions that are listening and they want to work with you, 
where can they find you? I mean, they can find you on the podcast. They can find you on LinkedIn. You're a pretty easy guy to find. Yeah. What's y'all's website? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, funkfutures.com, F-U-N-K, futures.com. Tripping cool. Over the Barrel is the podcast on the DW platform. And just like the, the very quick elevator pitch, Funk Futures does contract sales and marketing for energy tech companies. So an ideal situation is a company who feels like they have a proven product, some stories, but a lack of either marketing, brand awareness, or meetings and opportunities. The mistake that companies often do or make is we just got funding. Now we need to hire a very expensive chief revenue officer, a vice president of sales, a sales team underneath, and a sales ops person. You might have just spent $100,000 a month mm. in loaded cost. What are you getting for results? We're coming in to charge an absolute fraction of that. And our goal is to short circuit to meetings with people that would have interest and can get through the budgeting process more quickly. Um, so my whole team has expertise in, in oil and gas on the, the tactical side. And then I have some strategic resources as well who have a deep Rolodex. So just trying to help these companies, you know, step on the gas, six month engagements. And, you know, we'll know at the end of six months if it worked or not. And then for, say, like operators who are like, hey, there's a lot of new technologies out there. Can you kind of help us put together a tech stack or, hey, exactly. we have like one specific problem that we're looking to tackle. They can reach out as well to kind of get some consultative on, hey, we've got a lot of things in our portfolio that would kind yep. of fit with this, right? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's all about, you know, expanding the knowledge and, and continuing on the conversation. And one trend, too, if I can if I can dive into this for, for a moment, <coughs> with oil getting above 80 and gas now, what, closer to six, mm -hmm. there's things are loosening up, right? People mm -hmm. are, are more willing to spend budgets. But it's been interesting because typically the oil industry, at least the operator side, in the back office buying technology is usually three to six months behind the, the trend of the, the price of the commodity. Yeah. So we're coming into budgeting for next year and I'm seeing people getting away from pure cost cutting mode to, I think we can invest in technologies now. We're going to see an influx in ESG related business and solutions mm -hmm whatever that means, mm -hmm. right? I think we're still figuring it out. We'll continue to see outsourcing because it's a low cost way to operate and other industries have done this forever and a further reliance on, on automation in the field. Yeah. Like, and I'm excited to, to see where this all goes, but I think we're about to go into overdrive with, with energy tech, man. It's going to be a big year, 2022. Awesome. I'm excited about it. Yeah. I remember when we started oil and gas startups, people told us we had about a two, two year window for that. And I was like, I think you're wrong. So we'll see in two years and guess what they were three I was, and a half years ago i was so jealous when wrong. you got i was like i want to do that <laughs> like, fuck that was a good i'm idea. the startups guy these guys you didn't even go to college <laughs> uh, you well, guys dude, are the best i'm man. glad uh glad that we finally got you on the podcast you know that we're we're excited uh, for you and happy to support you and absolutely believe in what you're doing so um if you're listening to the show and you need some help make sure to reach out to jeremy funk and funk futures and make it happen so Thanks for coming on, bro. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. Yep. Absolutely. All right, guys. Take two seconds and uh, share this with your friends. Jeremy's a great guy. Uh, that's pretty much all I got. Catch you in the next episode. Come, 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 come.